0: On the new podcast, American Criminal, you'll learn about the fraud, theft, and murder that marks the dark side of the American dream. Like the Menendez murders, was it two greedy kids who killed their parents for money, or is there more? Listen to American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Got a favorite Kate Bush song that you just want to leave a couple of thoughts on? Well, you can call our hotline at any time and your thoughts might be played on a future episode. That number is 1-757-349-6886. That's 1-757-349-6886. Hope to hear from you soon. Strange Phenomena now has a Patreon page. If you would like to support the show then you can visit patreon.com slash Kate Bush podcast to see what wonderful rewards we're offering for your support of the show. Thank you and now on with the show. The first time I listened
2: to it, I don't know why but for some reason this was the immediate standout to me. Not even based on analyzing the lyrics, just based on just how it sounded then when I I guess because the way that I got into her was I just listened and were very clearly in my first apartment, uh, listening to all of her albums in my bed and just being like, okay, without any contest, not reading about them. And then when I kind of read about them after, I just saw nothing about this song. Like, wait, so that's the one I really loved.
3: <laughs>
1: Welcome to Strange Phenomena, the music of Kate Bush. I'm Cecily Link, and this week we are going to be talking about track number eight on Kate Bush's fourth album, The Dreaming, called All the Love. All the love, all the love, all the love
3: you should have given. All the love.
1: And with me to talk about the song this week is a good friend of the show. Hi, I'm Zoe, uh, Zoe P. I've been on a bunch of, I have been on the Dreaming episodes since the album
2: introduction, Mm -hmm. but I'm very excited to talk about, um, talk about much of side two, which I mean, the whole album's a big tour de force. And then especially about this song, because it just, despite being called all the love it gets me none of the
1: love and but I feel all the love for it and there's a lot that I do I admit this is a this is a song that I hadn't that I liked but hadn't really really listened to until I started digging into this for the show and I'm realizing that wow this is I am just curious why people don't seem to talk about this song very much not even not talked about it, but flat out
2: hate it. I swear to God, every time, or swear to Kate, swear to Kate Bush, sorry. Um, every Literally, I'm not making this, I'm not exaggerating. Every time I mention on Twitter how much I love this song, I have somebody send me a message anonymously because they have no guts saying, I hate this song, it's terrible, you have no taste. Every single time. And it's like, did this song murder your children? what did it do it's a song mm-hmm. and it's also great song but anyways it's funny because i'm the opposite the first time i ever listened to the treat me and it's true because i do i adore it oh my gosh i love it so much but um even though i adore it the first it's not my absolute favorite on the album we all know what that one is mm-hmm. but um but you know it's not my favorite the first time i listened to it for, I don't know why, but for some reason, this was the immediate standout to me. Not even based on analyzing the lyrics, just based on just how it sounded, just the pure sound of it. Something about that, the sound just really struck me. Um, mm-hmm. And I, so I was, then when I, I guess, because the way that I got into her was I just listened, I remember very clearly in my first apartment, uh, listening to all of her albums in my bed. And just being like, okay, without any context, not reading about them. And then when I kind of read about them after, I just saw nothing about this song. I'm like, wait, so that's the one I really love. So it's not my favorite on the album, but the thing is that I think it really encapsulates everything that makes Dreaming great. It has the dense production. It has, well, we can talk more about later, but kind of focused not just on stories, but on mm-hmm. scenes and concepts. Because what we see with her here is a lot of branching out into especially his this song and leave it open are, um, and spend it in Gaza, are not about stories, but about like these concepts and ideas. And she's discussing the state of the world and dramatic vocals. So mm-hmm. it's like pretty much everything that makes the dreaming great is here in this song. So it's weird to me, when, especially when people who otherwise love the dreaming hate on this song. That's especially weird to me, but I don't really get why people hate like, Not only ignore it, but flat out hate it. Maybe I don't really want to know why, because I just, if you think, if you hate the song, I just don't really care about your taste, period. I'm very, I'm very, what's that word? Um, Hyperbolic. So (laughs) Sorry, not sorry. But yes, I'm really happy to be able to talk more about why I think this song is so special. And deserves more attention. I refer to myself as an all-to-love war justice warrior. Uh, <laughs> and I say, I, maybe it's me and songs, Kate Bush songs, of all in the title because this is all we ever look for. Like probably my top underrated Kate Bush songs mm-hmm. and Infant Kiss probably. Or probably. That's like my topic. Oh and Rockets Tale. Those are probably my favorite. Uh, the ones I'd say like the most underrated Kate Bush songs.
1: Well, and certainly this song is like digging into it. This is a complex song.
2: Yeah, and even without digging, in, that's what, as I said, it's interesting to me that even just, it was just a a pure first listen without digging into it at all. Just something about it just completely, like, took over my head, even without realizing anything about what the lyrics are trying to say, anything about what instruments are using, anything. Just something about the way it sounds, period. Mm -hmm. But, yes, there is so much to dig into. I mean, with, the, with especially in the piece of writing and the vocal. There's a lot of vocal stuff mm-hmm. about later too that I think is really. Because what's interesting vocally is that I think, in my opinion, on this album, this is a song where her diction is actually the clearest. Because we have talked a lot about how there's certain songs where you have no idea what she's saying, especially because of use of vocal distortion techniques on songs like "Pull Out the Pin" and "Leave It Open." Here, I actually find that her diction is a lot clearer than on other songs it's easier to understand the actual words that she's saying um there's actually also this weird not weird i mean good weird there's this quality to a lot of the way she sings words where there's almost i don't know how to describe it besides a bell ringing quality like the in the arms of good friends of mine and the friends that i make part there's something their voice does where it almost sounds like a bell ringing i don't know how to it's i don't know how she does it but it's really great but it is one of the songs where it, her vocals are more intelligible.
1: That is true. Like, listening to this again, I can understand every word she is singing. There are no misheard lyrics at all in this song. Yeah. Her diction is very clear. And it's interesting, it seems like she definitely does make deliberate
2: choices to be very clear in her diction versus when not to be. There's certain... not. I can't think off the top of my head. I could if I had thought more, but there are certain songs where... I think this is a theater kid thing in her. Her diction is very precise, even when it's unclear what she's saying because of the timbre of her voice on certain Rolling Heart songs. Her diction is still; she always enunciates every syllable, and she does that less on this album. But on this song, she's doing it again.
3: hmm
1: It also helps that with the production on this song, it's it's is complex, but it's simple. At the same time, I think. And then so you don't have so many things, so many layers behind her that are obscuring her vocals and her pronunciation. You know what I mean?
2: Mm hmm. Yeah. And I wonder if she purposefully makes her diction clearer because for that reason, because she wants the words to stand out more and mm-hmm. doesn't want production to kind of mask it as much. Yeah. But we can go into more specific vocal stuff.
1: So production-wise on this song, we've got uh, drums and percussion from Stuart Elliott, who's played a lot on this album and Kate's previous albums as well. We have Del Palmer playing the bass. We've got Kate playing the piano and the Fairlight, of course. And when she's credited as Fairlight, and I know that on this song, they sampled Sigh's. And so, like, mm-hmm. oh, which I'll that? talk about. That. I have a lot of thoughts about that. Which I think is really cool that they did that. And you know, were, this is the album of the Fairlight, where the Fairlight is like front and center. We've got this cool equipment that we can just record us banging on all sorts of shit and record it and put it into a song. Mm-hmm. What I find interesting is that there is on the "We Needed You to Love Us Too" we wait for your move part that that's not Kate singing it; it's actually a choir boy. Uh, it's a choir boy named Richard Thornton. By the way, I have tried to track down Richard Thornton. Like, okay, who is this guy? How did he end up on this album? Did he get to meet Kate? Like, of what all is the deal? Choir in the world. I know. Like, and I have been unable to find him. There was a Richard Thornton that I found on Facebook. He is an Australian musician, and I thought, like, I it was a shot in the dark. I sent a message to this guy earlier this week and said, Hey, my name is Cecily. I'm running Strange Phenomena, going through every song Kate's ever done. This is probably a shot in the dark, but are you the Richard Thornton who sang on All the Love? And about five minutes later, he wrote back to me and said, Hi, Cecily. I wish that it I wish that uh, that was me, but it isn't. Good luck with your search. <laughs> so Yeah, pretty common name it is and anytime i look up i look up his name and the only credits i saw for him were on the dreaming and then when kate remastered all of our albums last year he was credited on that too so richard thornton wherever you are if you happen to be listening to this or if you know the richard Thornton who sang on this please contact us (laughs) if anyone knows someone in the world named richard thornton even if they're American,
2: even if they're in South <laughs> Africa, wherever. Just just try it. Just try it. I know. Yeah, what I think interesting about the choir boy thing is that um, normally she is provide, doing all the backing vocals and all other vocal effects in her own work. But in this song, um, it's kind of one of the first times that she is using someone else. And we pulled out mm-hmm. the pin, too. Um, she's using other voices in her work. And then this album is really where she's doing that a lot. So we have this the choir boy. And then, um, Del saying believe on Dini. Mm-hmm. And then also in get out of my house, um, the male thing, the male voice. Um, and then later on, she continues to do that with jig of life, having her brother talk, um, the, with the male interrogation voice in wigs and the witch, and then the intro voices in hello earth. So it's interesting how this is kind of beginning that, um, mm-hmm. on this album. And as opposed to it just being hers, it is like this. And then also the choir boy, of course, bridges to, for me, I just always think of Snowflake off of Do You With Snow, where it's her son Birdie. Um, so this clear, so it's this idea of incorporating other people's voices into her work kind of begins on this album, especially with this song and then the second half of the album in general and then, kiss something. She continues. And then, trio Bogalka, of course, on Central yeah. World, in which there. But so, um, so it's interesting how here's where it kind of begins. And Then there's that lovely little bridge with snowflake. Like I wonder if she had made this song later on. Should have had Birdie be the choir boy. Probably. Probably. Hasn't done I don't know.
1: <laughs> but it goes to show you that she's always had a, uh, I guess, uh, a love for that very pure sort of choir boy voice and it makes Mm -hmm. a nice contrast with the song and like kind of the ghostly especially the way it's mixed I mean they put a crap ton of reverb on Richard Thornton's voice so it sounds very distant and far away it sounds very ghostly this whole song is very ghostly actually that must be why I loved it so much from the get-go because I'm a
2: goth and I love anything Mm -hmm. ghostly like God, I love anything spectral, so and there's something very haunting and spectral about this. So that must be oh, yeah. why.
1: And it's kind of the, the it's the sighs that are sampled throughout the song. It's mm-hmm. these there's there's one part. Um, it's after the chorus. I think it's the, after the chorus the first time around, and there's like it. I'm gonna. It sounds like a pad, but I know it's not. Where it's like it feels like there's this kind of whoosh of something coming in. I'm not. Gonna, yeah. I'm. I'm gonna play yeah. a. I'll put a clip. Here. There's it. There's not. It's not a terror. It's a. It's dense, but it's simple at the same time. The way that this has been. This yeah. Been done yeah like the sighing to me like the, throughout
2: the chorus starting at a minute 41 in and you hear it again at a minute 51 and then again at 3 minutes 6 seconds kind of just shows how the song seems simpler but it's still so dense and layered in terms of production because that's not something it's still is this layer that kind of takes a few listens to hear so basically what seems less dense for the dreaming is still more dense on any other album
3: All the love you should. All the love, all the love, all the love we could give birth. All the love, all the love, all the love.
1: Yeah, you know what
2: I mean. It's like, <laughs> like still extremely dense. for the dreaming, like on any other album, she'll be like, "Whoa, okay." But and there's also this other, in terms of like the um, kind of spectral, ghostly quality. There's this moment I don't know if you can play a clip from it because I do not know what the hell it is, but there's this moment from two minutes 11 seconds in to two minutes 15 seconds in where after like the baseline, there's this strange high murmur where it goes like like da da da. I don't know. I really have no clue what it is, but it's mesmerizing and it kind of feels like it's this weird transmission from the like a ghost world or something. It's like this weird squealing thing. I don't. I, like I was looking through what instruments are used on this album, on, on this, and I was thinking, I cannot. This is not like any instrument it sounds like they literally, as they will do the next song, channel some spirits, and got some weird ghost
1: transmission in. Also, um, they, they didn't mention this on the production credits, but I know um, this will be. This is a quote I'll I'll uh, read later in the episode that. Um, At the very end, over uh, the Richard Thornton singing We Needed You to Love Us Too, We Wait for Your Move, therein comes answering machine messages. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Answering machine messages that she sampled from friends of hers who called her while she was at the studio. And that's actually got a real cool song, a really cool story I'll mention later that there, yeah, it's answer, actual answering machine messages from her friends than she used in the song, mm-hmm. which I think is really cool too. Yeah, who does that? You don't ever hear that. <laughs> Bye.
3: Bye. See you. See you later. Bye. i see you soon. Good night. Goodbye. Goodbye.
1: Okay, so the last time I heard a song where they anybody sampled an answering machine message, completely different style of music. Trip Like I Do by Crystal Method. There's mm-hmm. a woman who uh, one of the guys from Crystal Method met at a club, and she called him high on God knows what, and like left him this rambling message about, yeah, you and me – I want you to trip like I do, and they took that answering machine message and they sampled it in the song. And yeah, you, it's it's that so nineties. It's so that sounds
2: a little ethically. that's a little ethically iffy. Like if she was tripping and like they're just gonna like sample her. I hope they got consent. Just a saying.
1: I'm not sure what I, I'd love to know. Like who it was, if they they credited her or anything. I'm not sure. I'd have to look through the album yeah credits. But I wouldn't want like something that I like
2: called some a. Drunk phone call or tripping phone call. It's all new. Oh, that's <laughs> on an album now. Okay, okay. So yeah, but Kate did it more ethically, it seems.
1: What else? Where do we, we want to talk about like the lyrics or we want to talk like kind of what we interpret the song as being about. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, we can open to talking
2: about just like her general inspiration behind the song and kind of our take on that.
1: She says here, although we are often surrounded by people and friends, we are all ultimately alone. And I feel sure everyone feels lonely at some time in their life. I wanted to write about feeling alone and how having to hide emotions away or being too scared to show love can lead to being lonely as well. Mm-hmm. And I think
2: also one other thing to point out well, as we like, kind of introduce the song is how important the placement of it is. Because it's coming right after Night of the Swallow, which is a galloping, walloping, like mm-hmm. wild ride. And so this song literally opens with a sigh. Mm-hmm. So we're taking a breath, we're coming down. And so you know, we have this wild, we're literally flying with Night of the Swallow, literally flying, And you've come down and then, like, serving what's on earth. And it's, yeah. So in terms of that quote of what she said, I think that's a perfect summary of the song's meaning. Yeah. also, who else has ever written a song about that? People write songs about being lonely all the time. But her specifically writing a song about where she's saying, there are some times when you can't cope, you don't feel like you can talk to anyone. And I wanted to write about having to hide emotions away or being scared to show love. That's a very specific form of loneliness that you just don't really see in songs versus, like, I'm lonely because my man left me, but mm-hmm. I think also it's kind of this, um, this song really is an interesting companion piece. to lead. So yeah. So also, so in terms of placement, what I was saying is, I think it's really interesting that it's maybe people overlook it because it's coming after something that's so high octane. And this is more comparatively chill, even though it's extremely dark
3: mm-hmm. in terms of
2: production, like it's this dark dense thing. And that's why I always loved it. Um, but I think it is like a, it is essentially a come down, uh, both literally in terms of the actual tempo and metaphorically in terms of like coming down from this high to being brought down low again. Um, and so I think it's also it's this kind of companion piece to leave it open in a way, because what she just talked about. So leave it open is about the concept of what happens with about opening and closing the brain to stimuli and to leave it open to stimuli mm-hmm. And to let the weirdness in, and this song is about what she's in her words having to hide emotions away and being scared to show love and closing yourself off. Yeah, and how and the harm that comes. Well, funny because leave it open. She repeats line harm is in us, but here, it's talking about like harm comes from us closing up and not being open. Um, And I think the dreaming like leave it open to me is. I mean, I th- I just had and Swallow, so I think Night and Swallow is kind of the manifesto in a way of this album because it's a song about freedom, and this is an album that's it's such an expression of artistic freedom. But I would say, of any of the songs, "Leave It Open" probably is like the most anthemic and key to uh, no, key, no pun intended, for other songs <laughs> and the cover. But um, and kind of key to what this album means in terms of it's about like opening the doors to. Experimentation and different forms of consciousness, different ways mm-hmm. of thinking, and different ways of of making music and creating. Um, where and this song is an expression of that, but also about, but it's expression of all that experimentation, but in the service of talking about a very kind of the
1: opposite topic. And it's it's a very timely song to listen to now, I think in oh, twenty nineteen yeah. because. For me, I mean, it's, I I think of this song, and yeah, generally it is about relationships and connections, and, but of course, you know, it's a Kate song, so it's a lot deeper than just, oh yeah, I want to be with this person. I mean, on one level, I kind of see this song as displaying, dis- displaying the way that people sometimes don't take ownership of their own needs and emotions, and we wait mm-hmm. for other people to call us or text us. Without, oh, I because we're too just, afraid just of, about that. you know, reaching out ourselves. Like when uh, the choir boy comes in with, we needed you to love us too. We wait for your move. And that like, ultimately we all kind of had this desperate need for other people to make us feel loved. But we're afraid of reaching out because we're afraid of being rejected. And God knows I have dealt with that a lot. But then on another level, like I see this also as a song about, People claiming to be concerned and connected and like, oh yeah, we're that's just really good friends. or oh, We're really good friends, but in reality, you only kind of show up when shit is going down. Exactly. And you just like, and you only come in because you're like, oh yeah, something's wrong. I gotta go make myself look good. I, I mean, I love the line: "Only tragedy allows the release of love and grief never normally seen." My Ooh, favorite line. Man. Like that Which feels like yeah. s- you know, burn right there.
2: Yeah, I'll That's talk true. more about that line in depth later because I also see that as a actually very political line. In her words, what she says is um, there are just some... Let's see. I think it's sad how we forget to tell people we love that we do love them. Often we think about these things when it's too late or when an extreme situation forces us to show these little things. We're normally too shy or <laughs> cough, too lazy. I'm accusing mm-hmm. people in my life right there. Um, to reveal. One of the ideas... So yeah, then then we'll talk about the answering machine thing. So we can talk about it later. Mm -hmm. But yeah, essentially that's what the song is about. And it's, it's, yeah, like it's interesting to me that this song immediately took hold of me, and I didn't even really realize what it was saying because it's literally what I've been complaining about in therapy since I was like, 15 years old. <laughs> <I'm>, like literally, <laughs> which is like, which is that I am a very like people who who meet me um always describe me as genuine. That's the word that always comes across as genuine, and um it seems to backfire because no one else is genuine, and I am always very and I feel like I'm always giving. Mm-hmm. This, I'm not turning this. I'm not gonna turn this podcast into my therapy session. But the issue is in pretty much every relationship in my life, like I'm always giving, I'm always the person making plans, I'm always a person getting in touch. Um, like, no, like I can count, like, on one hand, like the amount of times in the last few weeks someone has actually reached out to me without me reaching out to them first. They just they don't. So, this song is a little too real for me <laughs> because it's about essentially how. Um, I just said, like, we, instead of showing appreciation for other people in the moment, we just kind of wait, as I said, for shit to hit the fan. And in order to show that we care, like, for example, when a celebrity dies and
3: people mm-hmm. is an
2: outpouring of how much everyone loves them, it's like, no one said that when they were alive. And what with yeah. anyone, really? I mean, it's this whole, like, um, yeah, and again, like this connects to this song being out of concept rather a story. She's not, it's not, for example, a song like, it's not like, let's say this was an extension of Houdini. She'd be like, oh, or it's not, it's not um Beth Houdini talking about how she wished that she had been m- more open with Harry Houdini about how much she loved him when he was alive. It's just a more general existential, um, story, like concern, which I think is interesting because we're used to her story songs, but mm-hmm. so. So basically, for example, the line like say why do it now essentially tell anyone we give a damn when I won't be
3: around say why do it now, when I won't be around, I'm going
2: out. yeah so instead of showing appreciation in the so we only talk about what someone means to us when it's too late or when they die and instead of showing appreciation in the moment and that causes so much loneliness and isolation and like, like, this is really, really dark. I'm sorry, guys. I don't want to bring you down. But Like, there are times, there's, there's some times where I've, like, that to myself, I feel like the only time people would say nice things about me or how they really felt was, like, at my funeral, honestly, um, where they, where I'm going to make every where I'm going to demand that all Kate Bush's dogs be played, like, from beginning to end, but skipping directors cut, obviously. So, like, <laughs> um, like, I feel like, like, it that's what it's going to take for people to actually say how they felt, how that they actually gave a, david Am, mm-hmm. which is not but that's also i think in really why it's so timely this is really endemic of modern society especially in yes. social media uh we try so hard to project an image of ourselves as being strong and not being vulnerable and so that we're not vulnerable with one another and we don't allow ourselves to show others how we truly feel and what we mean and need and as a result we end up alienated and alone and kind of like an image so
3: mm-hmm.
2: like for example, so there's one line I think really speaks to that is because I didn't want I didn't want to let them see me weep. I didn't want to let them see me weak. But I know I have shown that I stand at the gates alone. Let
3: them see
2: So the gates, I'm like, hmm, gates of heaven, as in like she's died, because as we'll discuss the first lines, about death.
3: Mm-hmm. So
2: in our modern world of because I so personally for me, I don't use Instagram because Instagram essentially is people showing how great their lives are. Yep. And I am a very nasty jealous person. I know if I see that I'm just gonna get mad and envious of their lives and feel left out. And it's just kind of people building with themselves as a brand, essentially um and so that seems really relevant to this song like you don't want to let i give them like i that you're you don't want to let anyone see you weep you don't want to let them see you weak you want to show like what a great meal you had and how great your vacation was Mm -hmm.
3: um
2: and so in our world of wanting to seem cool and aloof really like sincerity and authenticity are considered weird so she's and in her own words the lyrics of the song say I give them what they want to hear. They think I'm up to something weird. So it's like when you actually give someone the affirmation that you think that they would want, they think you're being weird. or like, "Oh my gosh, it's weird for someone to be so upfront about how they're feeling, because we're used to just circumventing how we truly feel about other people.
1: I give them what they want to hear. They think I'm up to something weird to
2: And so when we open up, we feel exposed or like afraid and ashamed. And as though we have to hide again, because Mm -hmm. she says, once she does open, she's after she talks about opening up, she says, and up rears the head of fear in me. So now when they ring, I get my machine to let them in.
3: So now when they ring, I get my machine to let them in.
2: So it's like I've opened up, and oh my God, I completely embarrassed myself because now they think I'm like this hysterical mess or something. So I need to shut down again. And yeah, as I said, I relate to this really deeply because a lot of I don't really have much of a filter, period, and I'm very open about how I feel. And a lot of people always call me genuine, and I feel like most people I meet aren't very genuine because they're trying so hard to be cool. And I personally feel weird for being open about how I feel. And it's interesting because she talks about how being aloof and and like not sharing how you feel makes people feel more alienated. But for me, at least, I feel like being more open and being proactive and someone who reaches out to friends I feel more lonely and alienated because I'm like how come no one else is like this but mm-hmm. the thing is that everyone else is, be- is so busy being ironic and detached that it's impossible to really connect with them and I right. think this song really speaks to that.
1: Yeah definitely oh Scott, especially the social media stuff like Yeah, again, with her deeper understanding and this. She's like, Mm -hmm. she legit predicted all of this. (laughs) For real. (laughs) And yeah, I don't use Instagram very much myself. I have an account, but I I think the last time I posted was sometime last year, and I just... I think it's been a human thing even before social media that everybody puts on facades. That, oh, you can't... I mean... Don't cry out loud. That or, whole song. or it cool to play hard to get. You know, mm-hmm. like like all the I advice, said, like all the advice in some of the girls' magazines that I would sometimes read as a teenager. I didn't subscribe to many of them because I thought they were stupid and vapid. That oh, <sighs> you can't actually like mention to a guy that you like him. You have to play hard to get. Right. You can't. And I'm like, and I just thought that redi- exactly. that was ridiculous. Like, why can't I just tell him how I feel? And I think. Unfortunately, social media, as much as I like it, and of course, like it's because of social media that you and I have met, that I've met other people through mm-hmm. this podcast, but it is like it magnifies something that's already right. always been there, like the idea of like putting up a face. You have to act a certain way in front of people and mm-hmm. people are afraid to be vulnerable and all of us, doesn't matter who you are, we all just want to be loved and we're afraid mm-hmm. of that vulnerability and letting people see that. I uh, hey, I'm vulnerable because you're kind of putting it in the other person's hands that you're like, "Hey, can you help me?" <laughs> Sorry, I'm reading. am mo- afraid, yeah.
2: Mm, I'm and reading. We're afraid, the, like um, if we show that we're hurting, that mm-hmm. people are gonna run away instead of wanting to, instead of, instead of really loving us for who we are. That they just want like a version of an idealized version of us.
1: And it's all comes And then, then like, as
2: she says, like, it's, she wants to, then once she does, she feels embarrassed and has to let, use her machine to let people in.
1: And I'm listening to this song, and we're, you know, do making up notes for this and for the show. And at the same time, I'm reading The Art of Asking. I'm reading through that again, the Amanda Palmer's book. And she talks a lot about, like, the human, like, we're afraid to ask for help because we're afraid of being vulnerable. And that, that's just mm-hmm. like, I thought of this song as I'm reading this book.
2: I would too. And then where do you end up at this song? You end up, as she said, at the gates of heaven, so at the doors of death, not understanding or knowing if or how people cared for you
3: Mm
1: -hmm. if you're not
2: able to open up with other people and show them that you care for them.
1: And I think ultimately this song Mm -hmm. is saying that, I mean, listening to this, I realize just how sad this song is. And it makes me... Mm -hmm. Want to make sure that I reach out to those I love, so I can keep a consistent connection with them, and make sure that I can can indeed give them all the love that I can give, and be vulnerable with them, which has been hard for me to do. But I ultimately feel better when I am when I do just say what I really need and express my affection for other people. And oh, that's great. No, yeah,
2: I I said, I'm the opposite. I'm like all oh, like. I'm always one giving. So I'm like, too bad that none of, none of my, like, imper- none of the people who I see, like, really neglect me and don't give me the energy that I give them back will be listening to this because <laughs> I'm like, yeah. hello, message. You should, like, maybe ask if I want to hang out sometimes. But I'm not doing all the work. But if anyone is listening who I'm friendly with, if you want to text me and tell me what you mean what I mean to you before I die, that'd be nice. <laughs> like, <laughs> this is a morbid episode, but this is a dark song. It so is oh my god. Okay. And not just the lyrics but the way it sounds. and as I said, I think it's the way it sounds that I like so much. Yeah it was, or, like what really drew me to it. and now and it's really when analyzing
1: the lyrics is why it like hits my heart it hits close to home. So speaking of like dark lyrics, so I gotta say the oh, first yeah. couple the first two lines on this song are so Kate Bush. Okay. Oh my god, they're perfect. They're <laughs>
2: they're just like some It's my favorite. Yes, yeah, the first time I died was in the arms of a good friends of mine. My favorite opening line of like any song ever, probably besides "Rocket" by Beyonce, which just goes "That Miss it, that ass, on ya." So you can't. That's hard to beat. But this is also up there and. It's yeah, it just it's I just said it's so Kate, but what it reminds me of actually is um, it reminds me of those Renaissance paintings of Jesus, like after death, being held by his followers, and Mary Magdalene, and and his mother. It, you know, those paintings, I don't know, it's, it's hard to visualize. I don't really know the names of specific ones, I'm just kind of running through my head. It's just like this idea of someone kind of being held in this very, like, almost childlike way with, like, someone pouring water on them, like a baptism. I don't – and it fits because Kate is God, so, you know. And also, <laughs> it's interesting that this line evokes returning from the dead because the song that follows it, Houdini, is literally about a seance, mm. about about someone returning from the dead. So, yeah, so the first – and it's also interesting because the first time I died is in the arms of good friends of mine. There's no – since this is a Kate Bush song, you would then expect the rest of it to be like, oh, a song about a ghost speaking. And here's the ghost story. But it's not really that. Then this goes out to be a concept. So it's like, what what is this reference to death? Is it a metaphor for something? Um What is it? I don't know. Because she's also talking out throughout the song how essentially you're going to die alone and unhappy mm-hmm. if you don't have true companionship and true openness but this is kind of but right now she's dying in the arms of the of friends of hers so it's like this is a good way to die I don't know it's very it's just very it might be one of those things like with love and anger where when she talks about love and anger she always says I have no idea what these lyrics mean mm-hmm. it kind of came out of me and she I think she said about the song of all of my songs that are written that's the one that I understand the least so I wonder if it's that kind of situation where she doesn't even really know why it just like sounded right, and it sounds very right. Also, the way she sings it too is, as I said, like earlier, she does this thing with her voice where it kind of sounds mm-hmm. like a ringing bell, and the way she sings that line, like the yeah, the the like, it also starts with extreme clarity. The first time. I died, it's very clear what she's saying. Mm-hmm. So it's like, okay, finally, I get what she's saying. Um, and then, <laughs> and then, in the arms of good friends of mine, it's like her She starts. Her voice starts ringing like a bell on those words. It's just exquisite. So it's not just the content that makes this such a powerful opening for me, but really the delivery is just absolutely exquisite.
3: First time I died was in the arms of good friends of mine
2: Yeah, I know you had some you had like a thought of where she might have gotten that there's a poem
1: that yeah kind of reflects the. So I was poking around online to see what other people have said about the song, and not very much. And I found I found a another Cape Bush message board, not the one on News dot com, but I think it was katebush.proboards.com. dot Proboards dot com. I can't remember the exact link. I'll I'll have to find it and on that message board like they break down like they will have they have specific threads for each song and so i went into the one they had for the dreaming and then within that forum here are the here are all the songs on the dreaming and clicking on each one you can see what people have discussed about the song and one of the posters on that forum wrote uh they they kind of were speculating whether the inspiration for some of these lyrics might have been from a Dorothy Parker poem. I'm not familiar with um, with Dorothy Parker's work, but certainly looking at this poem, it does have some. It, it does remind me a little bit of All the Love. Um, specifically, there's this poem Epitaph. And it says, the first time I died, I walked my ways. I followed the file of limping days. I held me tall with my head flung up, but I dared not look on the new moon's cup. I dared not look on the sweet young rain and between my ribs was a gleaming pain. The next time I died, they laid me deep. They spoke worn words to hallow my sleep. They tossed me petals, they wreathed me fern, they weighted me down with a marble urn. And I lie here warm and I lie here dry and watch the worms slip by, slip by. Hmm. So, how Kate Bush song. It sounds very Kate Bushy. I wonder if maybe she'd heard this poem somewhere. Maybe that could have been the inspiration for the first few lines of the song. Who knows?
2: Yeah, and it's weird because, I mean, she does... I just cannot see her being a Dorothy Parker fan. But I also, reading this poem, I'm surprised Dorothy Parker wrote it. So I wonder if it's the kind of thing where she, like, heard it by accident in, -hmm. like, a post anthology or something and not because she purposely thought it out as a Dorothy Parker fan. Yeah. But that is a very... That's a very interesting parallel. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: Um, Yeah, and something I think just... I think why I think the song is so brilliant. Well, one of the reasons, but the main reason the song is so brilliant is based, kind of comes down to something Graham Thompson wrote about it in his biography, uh-huh. of the IB, which is, um, he says that there is an exact marriage of sound and song subject. And he says, particularly in the song, a similarly exact marriage of sound and song subject can be heard on the stopping chorus of all the love. And so there's this thing that I've talked about in earlier episodes, which is the Empty Bull ring, that I call her weepy vocals, mm-hmm. where it almost sounds like she's crying as she sings. And here is, I think this is her peak weepy, weepy vocal song, where she really like, is embodying the way the, so- the song sounds, sounds like what it's saying. Exactly. It's not. It's like almost the opposite of another song that we talked. That I was on an episode about. All we ever Look for. Where Mm -hmm. it's extremely cheerful. The music is extremely cheerful, and the lyrics are extremely dark and morbid. This is this is very much a one dark package, straightforward package. Um, And so, like she does. So with like the weepy vocals, um, she she sounds kind of throughout the song. She's on the brink of tears, which really fits. What she's set talking about And also like for example When she says they think I'm on something weird She gets really, there's this tone It's really fussy like They think I'm on something weird I really like that mm-hmm. And so, as, as It almost feels as though she's replicating Others disapproving tone about emotional openness So it's yet another example Of her using her voice And not just the words to express the song's meaning Like she's really actually Acting out every emotion Behind each word but yeah, whenever she says that line, or think of something weird. I can, I can see like her, someone with their hands on their hips, like, caught, like chastising, like, kind of like, my, my, it's okay, like, just get real. Like, my, I have a sister who is very emotionally closed off, and I am not emotionally closed off. So when, basically, anytime I open my mouth, she's like, wants to shut me down. So I can just see like my, my sister with her hands on her hips, being like, shut, shut up, mm-hmm. you know? Like, I, I can, whatever she does, that, I think it's something too weird. But I they think I'm on, on something weird line. I feel like I'm picturing my sister giving me a dirty look.
1: And, <laughs> like, she can embody <laughs> that in her voice. I, I, I love the weepy, what you were talking about with the weepy, um, especially all oh, the love, oh, all yeah. the love, yeah. kind of thing. Very theater, very Broadway. Mm-hmm. The whole thing feels very, like, like you could kind of imagine her singing this on a stage with, like, low lights or something, and it looks kind of ghostly yeah. around. And, 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 like, just and stuff. the spotlight on her. Mm-hmm. Like She's pitch
2: just playing on her. Mm-hmm. Well, and speaking of just on piano, but this song, I've always felt like it would be a really interesting one. To I've ta- I've gone on and on in the past about how my dream project is for her to do her demos, but now, and um, I think it would be a really interesting song to see get. I'm not going to say to see get the director's cut approach because I would not want this song does not deserve not the director's cut approach. I mean, but, um, but I would like to see a song kind of get performed in a stripped down approach from her now, especially given Mm -hmm. what a mature song it is. I think that hearing a woman in her sixties sing about like lost and missed connections and opportunities is even way more moving than hearing a 24 year old sing about it and looking Mm -hmm. back on life. You know, I think just hearing her just like, as you said, just at the piano spotlight, before before the dawn encore after among angels just doing this would be really incredible and like also because the song even though she has some high pitch high pitch moments particularly in um when she says ne- after that ne- never normally seen the way she's normally seen i get really emotional there's her kick side voice it's back she still has it mm-hmm. yay my girl's still there but otherwise there's this is a song that I can see her being able to sing with her current voice as opposed to other ones where you just cannot imagine how she would like pretty much m- most things from this period beforehand so mm-hmm. I would really like to it almost has that kind of regret filled tone of something like never be mine so I feel like she could do an
1: adaptation of this and I would like to hear it I would too and especially like would she would she sing this in the original key? I think she could. I'm I'm actually looking at the sheet music because I'm a big you know music nerd, uh, mm-hmm. and there are a couple of higher notes and they're like you know won't be around. That B is an F there. I mean I, she could probably do that. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. She she managed to hit like an E flat or something like that in, um, in director's cut version and the live version's of top of the city. So she could do that. One. It's just like go oh, just a, up a mm-hmm. tiny bit more. No, I think she would. I, I would. It would be great to hear her do this strip down and then maybe have her son do the Richard Thornton parts. Doing the well,
2: unfortunately, voice. now his voice is broken, so he can't see Richard Thor. he can't do the snowflake thing anymore. But, um, mm-hmm. he can find another because because that because he when he did snowflake, he was like 11 or something really, oh, right. but um, so. So, but now he can't do it. But yeah, just find another choir board or, or or she can just hire me and like use auto tune to make it sound. <laughs> Anything, Kate Kate, hire me. Um but but yeah, I think just there's something there would be something really poignant about hearing someone who is in her sixties saying this rather than a twenty four year old.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um it, had, it takes on a different meaning.
1: And also like It's interesting that, like, compared with some of the, especially compared with Houdini, the song that comes after this one, this song is actually pretty simple chord-wise. Like, usually Kate Bush will just kind of go all over the place in terms of, like, okay, why do you have an E-flat minor in a B-flat? What? Huh? Why do you? Mm -hmm. But in this one, she's just, in the verses, it's just two chords. It's got, it's in B-flat minor, which, by the way, is a very dark key um the the funeral march um you know da 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 that's b flat minor and it sounds like every time i hear b flat minor i think of i think of death because of the funeral march it's such a dark minor key it's just going b flat minor and e flat just going back and forth between those doesn't change much either in the chorus. So this is, it's not a very complicated song to even, I mean, even if you were to try and figure this out by ear, I mean, it's, it's not, doesn't have many weird chords next to each other, like on, say, Houdini. Like, Houdini is just all over the place in terms of its chords, Mm -hmm. but that's part of what makes Houdini sound so mysterious, is that she just, she's just putting these chords with each other that just usually don't make sense but they do in the song and they give it this kind of like off-kilter sort of feel that we'll, we'll talk about when we, you know, get to that song next week. <laughs> so, but, mm-hmm. hey, music dirtiness over. Okay.
2: <laughs> well, it's interesting you bring up the, the chords because that I think is what makes it so striking from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Because this is, I remember in the Suspended and Gap episode, you and your guest in the episode talked about how very few of her songs have extended intros. You just kind of leap right into her singing. But this is one of the rare songs where you do have an extended intro going in. And it starts with dun, 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 do, 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 do. So it's a very downbeat note right there. And so I think that sets up this kind of like funeral, funereal, I can never pronounce that vibe. Yeah, because it really is one of the rare like because it's almost like after night of the swallow it's almost this opening you just need to like it's this come down like taking a breath it's like
3: do do
2: do sigh do 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 yes so i think that it's just, it's rare for any of her songs to have an extended intro but i think it's especially necessary after something as um intense of as swallow yeah,
1: yeah. And it also yeah, definitely boy. is a come down because yeah. um, Night of the Swallow is in B minor and this is in mm-hmm. B flat minor. So we've moved down half a step to B flat minor to that like very kind of dark sort of place. So mm-hmm. and I wonder if she did that on purpose. Otherwise, I don't know. Hmm. I just music nerdiness. Yay! <laughs> yeah,
2: there's a lot. Yeah, with her you never know because she is so deliberate about so many of her decisions but then she'll also say like yeah, I don't know what the hell I was worried about in love and anger. Or was the first time I died was in the arms of good friends of mine, like the first time or the other times. I tell you more. So huh. so I don't know. <laughs> so you said one of your favorite lines is only tragedy allows the relief of love and grief never normally seen.
1: Oh yeah. And that also yeah. that makes me think of not just of not just people in friendships or relationships, but um when when a tragedy happens in the world mm-hmm. and suddenly oh my gosh oh no like we need to remember what happened da, da, da. like nobody knew where this place was before and now everybody's like talking mm-hmm. about it on Facebook or Twitter and just all this outpouring of grief that you wouldn't mm-hmm. usually see from people and I'm like mm-hmm. and that that's what that that line especially like strikes me with that, and or, and also in the the relationship sense of, oh well, you know, you only tend to come around when I'm feeling like utter shit. Yeah, know? yeah, yeah. Or or the opposite. I have so I cannot tell you how many people I know. Like I'm
2: thinking of once, like I'm talking to all these people who I feel like don't really give me what I get them. I have one friend who I really feel like she only ever texts me just to, like complains basically, mm-hmm. and the time it's like. Only, like, so it's, like, easier to release, like, when you're sad, but otherwise, like, you close off. I don't know. But, mm-hmm. yeah, I agree with you a thousand percent. This is, that's, besides the opening line, that's my favorite line. I think this line, like, the only tragedy allows the release of love and grief never normally seen is, like, is just beyond universal, um, both personally and politically. Yes, I'm going to go there and take the government. Like, think about how we've, in America, those of us with the health fortune of living here um there's like a mass shooting every single day and every time before like this is such a tragedy it's never going to happen again we're going to get stricter on gun control it doesn't happen
1: it, yeah, it does not so do it's just interesting how
2: yeah like how because every time there's outpouring of public rage and sadness about the state of our world and our government that i per the issue is people only express it takes something like a children being shot for people to express rage of the government which mm-hmm. I personally think you should be expressing race to the government all the time, or like, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go here. You're gonna I'm go gonna there. A, okay, I'm gonna go cool. A, I'm gonna use the T word when Trump got elected, and all of a sudden everyone cared about racism and sexism and misogyny and and homo, and homophobia and transphobia, and it's like it would have been nice if you guys cared about this before he was mm-hmm. elected too. It, like oh, it yeah. really takes. A disaster for people to care about things about systemic oppression, essentially, and that this line really speaks to that it's only, only under extreme circumstances do people allow themselves to really feel and to really understand what people who are dealing with a lot are going through. And right. but as she suggests in the song, we should really be more open about how we feel all the time. And I'm going to go for where she doesn't go and say we should be angrier. Not we should be angry all the time, but we should be more open about what we want to change and how to change it
0: Mm -hmm. as instead
2: of all the time and not just when something bad happens not just when a complete piece of you know what is elected. Yeah. You know? But it's it isn't shady. Like I wasn't I I didn't even have Trump in my notes, but it did I did think yeah, it a thought of that. Like I I, it, it just thought of it. And I remember when he was elected and all of a sudden like white women suddenly cared about politics. like, yeah, you care because finally it impacts you. You know, you like when when people of color are being suppressed, you don't care. But when your abortion rights might be taken away, suddenly you're mad. So it's like I think I think it's wonderful that His election has led to more more public activism and has really galvanized a base that wasn't galvanized before. But at the same time, it's like you shouldn't it shouldn't take a metaphorical death to embrace to be embraced by the friends of yours.
1: So oh, so speaking kind of like friends and such. So um, as mentioned earlier in the episode, there are answering machine Mm. messages of playing over the ending credits that are actually from her friends, which I think is really cool. Uh, <laughs> cause she, and the like, fun thing is when you're a super fan to be able to spot who you can recognize. <laughs> yeah. You mentioned some notes that I didn't, I didn't even rec. I was just like, Oh, these are her friends of hers. But you had some uh, recognizing the voices, uh, some of the voices you recognized. I hear her mom. 3.45 seconds. Three
2: minutes, 45 seconds. And the hello. Bye. I'm almost positive that it's Dell at um, 3.48 and then at 3.59, the good night. Sounds like Dell. Bye. Good
3: night.
2: I mean, they lived together at this time. So I would. it might not be because, like, why would you leave a message at your own apartment? Maybe. I don't know. But... But it it sounds like Dell to me, so it's fun to be able when you're like a really hardcore fan to be like, okay, I think this that for, I think this one is the first of that one's That first. <laughs> It's a little, yeah. little fun game. <laughs> but there's definitely I have talked I've I've talked to other fans where we definitely heard Dell in there for sure. Hmm.
1: Well, in the wind and is he's kinda... all over this album. He's on the cover. I know. He's on the cover. He plays bass on all the songs. So. And the bass the ba- which the bass of this song is a, definitely a standout. So actually this is this is real cool. So Kate Bush said this in the Kate Bush Club newsletter, October nineteen eighty two. Um she said, um, One of the ideas for the song sparked when I came home from the studio late one night. I was using an entry machine to take the day's messages and had been going wrong a lot, gradually growing worse with time. It would speed people's voices up beyond recognition, and I just used to hope they would ring back once they would ring back again one day at normal speed. This particular night, I started to play back the tape, and the machine had neatly edit- edited half a dozen messages together to leave, Goodbye, see you, cheers, see you soon. It was a strange thing to listen to, sit and listen to your friends ringing up, apparently, just to say goodbye. <laughs> I had several cassettes of people's messages, all ending with authentic farewells, and by copying them onto quarter-inch tape and rearranging the order, we managed to synchronize the callers with the last verse of the song. There are still quite a few of my friends who have not heard the album, or who have not recognized themselves, and are still wondering how they managed to appear on the album credits when they didn't even set foot into the studio. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: and it's cool that she turned that into, like, into a musical moment.
3: Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. And it came about, because I had always, with her, I always assumed everything's deliberate, but it's interesting that this kind of came up non-deliberately.
1: She mm-hmm. was like, she heard this, she's like, oh, wait, I can do something with this. hmm And it works really well for, given the theme of the song and what we've been talking about with connecting with people and... All that
2: absolutely, yeah, it kind of brings up this idea of like there is a even though you're there's you're it's a missed connection because the person missed you, so they have to leave a message, you know.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and it also kind of brings up it's almost like what if you got a recording of people like just saying what they really thought? Like, I'm thinking of I did this, um, about this just two summers ago now, I led groups with teenagers on a some therapist and social worker, I led groups on like social justice and sexual health and consent and stuff with teens. And we had an exercise at the very end where we all put a piece of paper, everyone put a piece of paper on the back of their back and we'd walk around and, and everyone wrote on the piece of paper, like a message to someone that they wanted them to hear about how they felt about them. And uh-huh. it was really beautiful. I still have mine. And it's just like the nicest things that people said. And it kind of reminds me of that in a way. It's like like this lasting document of like showing that people cared in a way. But almost that exercise almost seems like I would be more in line with what she's kind of recommending we as a society do more to so be more straightforward about how we feel. Like instead of just being like, Oh yeah, okay. hey, hello, goodbye. It's hey. I just want to let you know that I was thinking this, I saw this thing that reminded me of you and it made me realize that you're a really awesome friend and I'm really glad to have you in my life. I don't know, something like that. It'd be nice to get a message like that sometimes, but yeah, it kind of reminds, I don't know, just for some reason, just now, I thought of that exercise I did two years ago and having teams, I was working with teams and having them like write these things on my back and then taking the paper off and looking at it and reading it and just being like profoundly moved because these are things that they didn't say out loud. And there were some people who were really quiet and had difficulty expressing themselves but wrote really eloquent and moving things. Um, So it just kind of goes to show that we all have that capacity to care for one another and it's how do we express it when it's not too late.
1: Yeah. And that's certainly something I've been working on myself and just trying to say what I really need to say and, and tell people how I feel and it's it's hard to do like I'm just I'm just somebody that you know, obviously I'm not going to use this as a the therapy session, of course, but just for me, it's hard to express how I feel because I'm a people pleaser and like I don't want to s- mm. I don't want to make people upset if I actually say, well, actually, I kind of want to do this. Like I'm mm. I'm having to get away from that and I'm a lot better about it than I used to be, but it could be a lot better and certainly listening to this song again makes me want to hug all the people that I love and appreciate and, and just tell them how I really feel and just try to be more open with how I feel before things are too late. Right. Because well, you never know what's going to happen. Someone Exactly. Can, like, when
2: I, well, I'm showing way too many personal anecdotes. But when I was 15, my dad was standing on the street and an air conditioner fell on his head. I mean, hello, anything can happen. Luckily, he's got... Thought- it, he survived because it fell on a ledge before it fell on his head. Um, but he had, I think, some like literally a few thousand stitches. Um, it was really like it was really scary. Um, so you you never know what's gonna happen. I use that as my example of you never know what's gonna happen. You can literally have an air conditioner fall on your head or your loved one's head, and mm-hmm. what if you never told them that you love them? You know, it's yep. just so there's it's just interesting because what we're talking about right now in terms of theme relates so much to one of her most famous songs, um, this woman's work, um, mm. uh, which I guess which I will get to in a few years. But um, yeah. <laughs> and which I am a fan I am a fan of the song. I like the song. However, and this is where people hate me, um, I just think this song is expressing the same themes in just such a more interesting way. Like there like is there there for me there nothing in someone's work like the first time I dad's in the arms of good friends of mine. I mean this is also the goth in me. I need my stuff dark but um the thing is like with this song it's really not it doesn't fit into any genre it's not a i've heard some people call it a ballad before but it's really not a ballad Mm -hmm. um it's not and whereas the thing with this one's work i do so obviously the kind of the core line of that is like all the things that we could have said that we never said all things we could have done that we never did which is essentially a more succinct way so in, to this to this woman's worth credit it kind of sums this up in a, in a very succinct way basically saying like look at all things that we didn't do that we should have in order to really express ourselves in the moment and before it's too late so they're both pretty much about the same thing which is really interesting i just find the lyrics of this song to be i think the darkness of the lyrics of this song appeals to me more um and also because this woman's work is is a, whereas this is not about someone's work is a ballad. and i do really like it but i've always felt like whereas all the love could only be a kate bush song you hear this it could never be anyone else this one's work is i mean it's been covered on american idol you know mm-hmm. it's um it's the kind of song that can be like if, if i was told it was just like a not a Celine Dion, song, but it could be like it doesn't feel as, and this might be because she wrote it for a movie, but it does not, to me, feel as quintessentially Kate Bushian as this does. So mm-hmm. that's why I think even though they're exploring the same things and in certain ways someone's work kind of explores those themes in a way, in lyrics that are more succinct and easily relatable, um, then I just find this song more successful at conveying the theme. Even though so I, I have Pride to this one's work oh my god and i've cried oh me too oh god if you haven't you have a soul come on yeah for real. (laughs) but i but this song is also maybe really moved too i i I just think that they're expressing the same thing but this one is just so much more interesting and rich um i mean like the only tragedy can allow the release of love and grief never normally seen like wow (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) oh wow all of it. And also the, the different ways she's using vocal techniques, the ways in which she's bringing in different elements, such as the choir boy, such as the answering machine, um, the sighing. There's just so much more going on that makes it more than a ballad that to me, it just I, I oh, God, I'm going to hammer for this. But I always would call it like the intel, like this woman's word for intellectuals. Uh, sorry, guys, don't hammer me. Um, but. <laughs> It's, I mean, so much work. I do love it. I'm sorry, but this is just so much better to me. I just find it interesting how these two songs are pretty much about the exact same thing.
3: Mm-hmm. I,
2: but like, except this one's work is more specifically a story song, so it's specifically about, um, from the perspective of a man, um, as his wife's childbirth, and that might be part of why I'm not crazy about it. because I'm like, I don't really care about the man's perspective about childbirth, mm-hmm. <laughs> honestly. Like, come on. But um, but I do appreciate that it is about these themes of regret and what we could have done as we didn't do. And it's just interesting that this is something she's, even though the reason she was thinking about it in 1989 or 88, whenever she wrote it was because it was commissioned for a movie. This is something that she does, a theme that she returns to. Mm-hmm. Um, and also on the sensual world, she's thinking of connections a lot in the sensual world in terms oh, of yeah. deeper understanding. So it's interesting that she always has and reaching out as well. Oh, I was about to so say reaching always, out. I mean, the literal name, yeah. Um, But so she does have these kind of, so there's this kind of theme of songs that she has about like connectivity and how the lack of it and how having it really fulfills us and the lack of us alienates us and leads this kind of metaphorical death that happens in the first line of All the Love. So yeah, and all yeah, and and then also with Leave It Open being about opening yourself to experience and stimuli. That's another proponent of like letting it in instead of Mm -hmm. um cutting it off yeah now i'm looking. i'm curious now i'm just like now seeing myself i'm like wonder what kind of friend she is like i wonder if she like is she follows up with people like (laughs) make sure she (laughs) tells them they love them you know because otherwise Mm -hmm. you're a hypocrite miss bush you're a hypocrite (laughs) and you know what she could you know what she could do to let people know she loves them she could release them before the dawn dvd yes i'm going to get that in for real i'm going i'm going to make sure i get that into every episode uh, because it's Kate Bush. If you want us to know that you love us. <laughs> DVD,
1: he Give happens. us the day. It's I just for day. real.
2: Because
1: some of us didn't get to see so, it because it was happening at the same time as school starting. Okay. Thank you. Love And some me. of us don't because
2: we, because classism exists and money exists. And like, when I, it, what drives me nuts is when she says, it was a it was a, a I can't release a DVD because you have to be there in the moment. It's like, do you realize that everyone can fly from across the world? Yeah, I think she's just so in that bubble. She's like still in the, the bubble from the breathing video. She's like in the bubble <laughs> where she thinks anyone can just come, but like no, no, sorry, someone can't. But anyways, interestingly connected. It just in, it's kind of ironic that she's like not all that connected to her fans. But I mean, but that's actually not true. She really was. But and I understand her decision for not being connected to her fans because mm-hmm. they are they. I mean, I would if if I was her I, and I knew I existed, I would I would want to get the hell away. Um, but like. <laughs> And, and but, but through her newsletter, she was very interactive with her fans and answering yeah. letters. So clearly, I think, based on that, she did have this very human and personal connection with her fans when she had her newsletter that shows that it is something very valuable and important to her. And so I think that, I mean, she's my idol for so many reasons, but I think one of them, the more I think about it, is that she provides this model of kind of radical openness um, that I think we all can, even though her songs are so non-confessional mm-hmm. they kind of promote an outpouring of emotion and empathy and because she's always speaking from other points of views she's not speaking for herself but it promotes empathy for others
1: right And also just communication and connections is always a theme with her I, mm-hmm. I mean, when I when we get to running up that hill on the next album, that whole thing is about like, like trying to understand and communicate and connect with somebody. Right. And then and the fact that you feel so, you feel so unable to, you think you have to mm-hmm. really switch p-
2: places with them in order to. Yeah.
1: Or even later, like going to the central world. Um, She may say that she doesn't know what love and anger is about. I think I know what love and anger is about. Of course, that episode will be like next <laughs> year. But Mm -hmm. that one I interpret as like, okay, you're not really saying, you're keeping things inside. Please just tell Mm -hmm. me what's going on. And we can fix this. We can be two strings beating in sympathy. You know, we could actually be like, oh yeah, I completely understand it yeah it's yeah that, I, yeah it's interesting she's and also that's often she's love and anger is
2: another one that is not a story song it's just like mm-hmm. a song about a concept and now you're saying that it is about like a very similar concept to this so it's interesting that when she has her concept songs they relate more to kind of communication and openness yeah and even babushka about mis- oh, misunderstanding yeah. communication hello
1: that's about little catfishing so mm-hmm. yeah I forgot about that one. Yes, definitely. Yeah, but it's just always interesting to
2: identify patterns that come up through her work because her work is so – is so. Um, I don't want to say inconsistent, but it, it isn't really um, – it's just so – Dynamic, Dents. I guess, and versatile. Versatile. It's so mm-hmm. versatile. She goes through so many different types of songs and so many different types of stories, but at the same time, you do see certain themes pop up. And even, I mean, even the next song this album, houdini, houdini is literally about communication with the about trying to breach the afterlife to communicate with your loved ones. So,
3: mm-hmm. like, maybe, yeah,
2: yeah.
1: Well, any last thoughts about All the Love? I think we've definitely given this song a lot of attention. We've been talking now for over an hour. We've given a lot of attention to I this think, very underrated think, song. Yeah,
2: I was going to say, I think you, we need to give this song All the Love to overcompensate for the lack of it so that, you know, before, it's not the first time that it dies that we get to tell how every that we get to tell the song how much we love it. Um exactly it's not really talk until it gets deleted from Spotify and iTunes or whatever that all of a sudden people be like, oh wait, I actually like that song. Um no, I just yeah, as I said, I don't know why people hate this but like not just either. like oh I dismiss it, but like literally let's like, just hate it. But in my I don't really care about their taste if they hate this song. Um I don't really I love this song so much and the more I talk about it here like the more I love it really Mm -hmm. Um, but just something about it always gripped me and I just would like I would urge people to pay to a pay more attention to this song and listen to it like on good headphones good speakers whatever to really get like all the layers because with the sighing and all that a lot going on and also to kind of Tell the people who you care about that you care about them. And why? Because it does not hurt. And there have been times in my life where I randomly got a text message from a friend being like, just saying, hey, like, just want to let you know that I really care about you. And I was not weirded out. I was like, thanks. So just, I think this song is like a reminder to all of us to really appreciate the people in our lives and let us know they're appreciated because we don't know what they're going through. Because like, for example, the narrator of the song, I don't want to say it's Kate herself, but the narrator of the song is somebody who clearly struggles with feeling alone and feeling um, uncomfortable opening up to others for fear of being almost mocked or shamed for it. But I think that if we are, if we kind of model the opposite behavior, it creates a culture of warmth that we don't currently have.
1: Right so yeah
2: so go tell your friends that you care about them why you care about them if you know if it's like 1 a.m you're thinking of your friend you're like i really like that person i really appreciate this person did this for me that one time even if they're asleep just text them they'll wake up to it and have something to smile about in the next morning i don't know can't hurt
1: indeed well thank you so much for being on the show to talk about all the love this week as always Great to talk to you about the song. Great to just chat about Kate Bush. Woohoo! Yay! Yeah, thank you. I'm just as I just I'm just so
2: glad to be able to advocate for this song because Indeed. it's so underrated and it hurts my heart. It
3: hurts my heart. <laughs>
1: Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of strange phenomena the music of Kate Bush if you know something about this week's song that we didn't get to or if you want to talk about a future song here's where you can find me twitter at strange Kate facebook facebook.com slash Kate Bush podcast email kbcast at linkmedia.com and on the web kbcast.linkmedia.com join us next week where we're continuing into the dreaming we're getting to the second to last episode of the album portion of the dreaming season where we're going to get to hear from zoe and also a fan who you haven't heard from since weathering heights luke mcquillan he's going to be on the show to talk about houdini which is one of his favorite songs also remember if you like the show you can support the show on patreon patreon.com slash kate bush podcast see everybody next week
0: What do you do to achieve the American dream? The big house, the happy family, the money? 911, what's your emergency? Would you put in the hours? Would you take a big swing?
3: What's the problem? What's the problem?
0: Would you lie? Would you cheat?
3: Would they shop? Would they shop?
0: Would you kill?
3: Yes. <laughs> my mom and dad. My mom
0: and my dad. From Airship